Hey there, this is the first episode of We Want to Watch. Um, you're going to notice we're making references to past episodes on The Thing and Eraserhead, but uh, those aren't going to be published because the audio quality is really bad. Um, so our takes on those movies are lost to time. Uh, but please enjoy this first episode, uh, and thanks for listening. Do you have any movies coming out that you're like looking forward to? Uh, no, I don't know of any movies coming out. I couldn't name a single That's one. fucking crazy. <laughs> Movies aren't my thing. I know, but like, that's like not even one. Not even like, you don't see ads or anything? No. No, I think I'm immune to advertising, honestly. You, first off, you are not immune to propaganda. Um, well. <laughs> Secondly. <laughs> you, you sound like, um, have you ever seen that tweet that's like, I was on a, international flight and some guy just sat there no headphones no blanket no pillow nothing just his thoughts yo <laughs> that's you i do like, that no, sometimes. no movies i've done that on flights that's crazy i uh i, I get crazy. into the best conversations like that though because you just you, you're essentially locked in there with you know at least one other person next to you that you can just grill for like you know four and a half hours 2 a.m to 6 30 a.m what are they gonna say you know what flights have you been taking at 2 a.m uh red eyes uh generally no shit sherlock what <laughs> but to where um, and when i mean between and between seattle and philadelphia why? yeah uh to get home there's a flight from okay opsec um yeah but... right <laughs> do you not have a flight during the day that just seems crazy like why would you go um i've, I've had some flights during the day i i kind of prefer red eyes because then you can just like continue to stay up and get acclimated to the new time zone, right? If I take a flight during it's the only day, three the hours. day is wasted. Eh, with the with the time change, it's more, right? Okay. And what if I have a layover? If you say so. Okay. Also, you're grilling people on the flight at two a.m. Yeah. You're crazy. Oh yeah, it's you, great. You're a terrorist. Oh, I know. I'm on a watch list. I'm on multiple. Yeah, no, you're on great. people's watch list. It's great because like you're stuck in there; they can't get away from you, um, and and people are willing to divulge like a lot of themselves to someone that they're only really going to talk to for you know just this one time, right? That's what you think. Well, <laughs> listen, if I ever see Robert West again, shout out Robert West, then we'll deal with that then, right? <laughs> Who the fuck is Robert West? Uh, he was a minister in Alaska. Um, I'm not sure where he lives now, but he was one of the top six players of a uh, mobile phone app um, about planes. I forget the name of it. I think it was like a War Thunder game. Yeah, he was the number one free-to-play player, which was like a big achievement, and he was top six in the world. Yeah, I'll talk about Robert Wett. Let's let's. This is all off-topic, right? <laughs> Um, so this podcast is called We Want a West, um, and <laughs> you know what you could be doing on your red-eye flights is watching movies um, instead, so maybe, uh, you know, write that down. I've actually, sometimes I'll, I'll watch movies that other people are watching, um, and that way I can get like two or three streams of information going at once. I can sort of peek over people's shoulders, and that works out really well until they like, you know, move. And you can't ask them to like move back, right? It's, it's just awkward, right? I can't be like, hey, buddy. Your shoulders blocking off half of uh, the Equalizer too. I really want to see Denzel in the frame. Could you just, uh, just, 
squiggle over a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, um, good to know that I will never ever take a flight with you <laughs> for fear of, of public shaming. Um, this podcast is called We Want to Watch. Um, my name's Lane. My name's Ricky. Um, and I guess our premise is that we just pick movies that uh, we think we should watch or that we want to watch or that we think the other person should watch in benefit of our uh, ongoing film education, I guess? Yeah. Question mark? I don't know. Does that sound like a good pitch? No, yeah. I mean, it's just... It's only our third episode and we barely have a name down. Well, it's, it's just what we want to watch, right? I don't think that's going to be anything okay, fair, more fair, than fair. that. All right, it's fine. Fine, fine, fine. I can already tell that we've got juice compared to some of our last couple apps, which is, thank God, because those have been, those have been rough. For buddy. me, the podcasting is the juice. All right, cut that out. Uh, okay, telling okay. the Craig bot now. All right. <laughs> um, this week we're watching, uh, or we watched the Grand Budapest Hotel. This was a recommendation of yours, yep. Ricky. Um, I had not seen this movie before, but you were like fully like in the can for this one. I think it's great. I love Wes Anderson films. Um, like, this is like a proper movie in my eyes. Whatever is that? Whatever that's supposed to mean, right? Yeah, I guess I I was kind of not surprised. I mean, I know people like this director. Uh, I hadn't really seen any of his movies, and I'll talk about that in a second. But like, a joke you've made a couple times while we've recorded this is that you don't fucking know any movies. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh. The fact that you not only like like this movie and have seen it multiple times, but like know this director, um, yeah, I just I, I want to hear more about like why and like what your history is with him and, and all of that and like what it means to you, I guess. Hey, thank my English teacher. Uh, I believe I had him for tenth and twelfth grade, um, and he he was a big Wes Anderson guy, or at the very least, he he liked a lot of the symbolism that Wes Anderson uses and the way in which he sort of portrays um human emotion i guess um so he he used a lot of quotes from wes anderson movies and he would show wes anderson movies in class um and i don't know i really liked them they just stuck with me okay so like a, an english teacher in high school yep or yep i'm not gonna nice. name drop okay. him because i know he would not appreciate it at all but if you wanted i could you could say it and i'll bleep it out so uh, yeah, yeah, sure. For fun. Uh, oh, that's an identifiable name. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. He's a he's a little um, off the wall. Some people like thought he was a bit odd, a little out there, eccentric, I guess. Kind of like these movies. Yeah. Well, maybe in a different way. He seemed uh, based to me. Um, based on what? Boom, bump. Um, based on himself. <laughs> he was based in reality, right? Uh, which a lot of people aren't. <laughs> so. Yeah, like this movie. So what movies had you seen? Obviously, you've seen this one before, but what, like, did you watch movies in class? Or was it just kind of references and you were like, huh, I should look at this? Oh, we watched a lot of movies in class. I'm not sure which ones out of Wes Anderson's repertoire we watched. Um, couldn't tell you exactly. I believe we watched the camp one, but I forget the name of it. Um, it wasn't Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, is that it? Well, uh, oh. okay. I don't think it was Moonrise Kingdom. I think... But... I think that's the camp one, but I don't know for sure. Ooh, okay. Well, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I'm not really a Wes Anderson guy. Like I haven't seen. I actually just watched my first of his live action movies 
like a week before this, um, before we're recording, or a week before we recorded last, and you suggested we watch Grand Budapest. So, so you specified live action. Have you seen Fantastic Mr. Fox? Yeah, that's the okay. one I had seen before. I remember liking it, but I I don't really remember it. Um, so I'm sure if I went back, I would have a better opinion on. It. I just I remember you know when it came out or whatever mm -hmm. you know when I was like in high school or right after high school. I remember watching it and liking it. But um, that was the only one I had seen. So what? So of his, I mean, I see that there's like I don't know twelve mm -hmm. features of his. It looks like. Um, which ones have you seen besides this one? Ooh, I'm not sure actually. Yeah, so I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Isle of Dogs, Grand Budapest. Oh, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, and I think that's it. Oh, you have seen the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's the only one that I have seen. Like I said, I just watched it a few weeks ago. But yeah, so what, I mean, tell me like why you like this director. Not to like show my hand at all. Um, I And I mean, this is just sort of like, I'm I'm not very well versed in film, so it's going to seem like a really sort of maybe silly. You're fine. Don't, don't, um, don't I just, I just couch wanna, it like that. I just want to put, you know, some, some delimiters on either end. Um. I, I like the way that he sort of juxtaposes, like, idyllic scenes with very, mm, like, melodramatic, uh, or, like, idyllic environments with very melodramatic scenes within them, right? Um, so, like, a lot of his frames deal heavily with symmetry, and they'll follow specific... If the camera's going to pan, it's following a specific character, uh, but very often it won't pan, and when it doesn't pan, it's sort of like it shows that they're moving on to the next scene almost, right? So, like, when they walk off frame, you know that it's, okay, they're walking into the next scene. And that could be, like, a hard cut, or it could be, like, a sort of, like, smaller cut where uh, they're just somewhere else within the same sort of, like, environment. And I think he does really well with, I mean, specifically within the Grand Budapest Hotel, right? There's a war going on. There's, it's, like, very dire circumstances that our characters find themselves within. Um, but the entire time, it's, it's like, very pretty, almost, right? Like, everything is very neatly laid out, even in scenes of, like, disorder and chaos. It seems like everything has its place and was placed there for a reason. And everything looks nice, which is, it's sort of, like, silly, almost, to see the contrast. And for the characters themselves, they're all sort of... I mean, so in the Grand Budapest, they specifically talk about how, like, M. Gustav, he lives within his own world, right? When... In reality, like, all of the characters sort of lived within their own worlds, but they very often bent to sort of meet the needs of M. Gustav, and they sort of let him entertain his sort of version of what they were. It's an interesting way that he sort of bends the world around him to, I'll say, suit his purposes, and then when met with very strict resistance, it crumbles, right? And that only really happens the one time near the end of the film. Uh, so before that, he sort of gets away with these delusions. And Wes Anderson does that a lot, where he'll sort of have characters that seem untouchable, almost. And so they move throughout the world, and like these set pieces are always sort of available to them, and they fall into place at the correct times. And as that happens, they get this sort of feeling of like untouchability. And then very, like, very often he'll have something happen to them. And it can be different degrees of sort of, I don't know, severity uh, that happens to them. 
But when it happens, it's like a big shock, no matter what it is. And I don't know, I like the way that he deals with life, aging. A lot of times he does coming-of-age stories, or, you know, love stories in this case. Um, I mean, this is also really sort of a story of found family, which I like a lot. He's just a fun little director, and I, I always think his movies are fun, even if I come away with a very sort of melancholic feeling at the end. It's almost like I miss a time that never existed. That's interesting. Okay, so wait, you think this movie is a love story and a found family story? Yeah, oh, I mean, it very much so is, right? Ha- uh, hmm. I, I, okay, I thought this movie was kind of um, shallow. Uh, okay. So, I, oh, like, um, okay, so I, I haven't seen, I've gone out of my way to not watch any live action movies of his. Um, okay. Mostly because I, I kind of feel, and, th- and this is like maybe unhinged, mm-hmm. uh, but like it, it's just kind of a, a, a repressed, like emotionally repressed, kind of like hipster, sadcore thing. I, like aesthetically, it just seems like, uh, I, this is crazy, but like I feel like there's like, it's like pro Anna. <laughs> I might cut oh. that out, but I just, hmm. yeah, it just like everyone in it seems the exact kind of like skinny, I'm a doll, like being used by this director to do the bare minimum of like convey no emotion on my face and try and like let it all come out via mood. Mm-hmm. Just like delivering like the kind of quotes you would see on like, you know, Instagram or whatever of like sad, meaningful kind of like edgy teen or like lonely teen stuff. I that I just get that vibe. Okay. And like it's in it's in it's delivered in this way, you know, all of the like everything I've seen from his filmography up to this point of like quotes and scenes and stills, it's just the neatness of it just feels so and I'm I'm not the first person to say this, just feels so like style over substance and oh, yeah. also trying to not even trying to like challenge you with that but to kind of say like like with a raised eyebrow like isn't it more deep that the characters here are blank slates that don't move and don't emote but they're delivering this like quirky like removed dialogue and the situations they're in are so melancholy i just i find that insufferable um and that's my problem really stylistically unhinged for sure yeah yeah and and i get that's the point also his like repertory of actors i've i've I don't, none of like my guys are in these movies. You know what I mean? Like, I, um, like, you know, I, I think of, um, I think of Bill Murray who I like can't stand, um, you know, Edward Norton. Like, I feel like there's just like a lot of like, Owen Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) I feel bad. I mean, you know, those people just aren't my people. And so I see these movies that seem to be kind of, again, everyone's making the same facial expressions in these posters, and, like, everyone is kind of, like, not classically beautiful in a certain way, like, everyone has quote-unquote interesting faces, Mm -hmm. you know, but they're still, like, good-looking movie stars, and and just, like, trying to play up the fact that they're, like, not classically beautiful, but they're still obviously beautiful, and, like, they're used like dolls. Just something about it kind of gives me the ick. I'll I'll say even... To further that point, the only character in this uh, movie which was sort of, like, not, or, like, imperfect, right, is Serge X's sister, the club-footed girl, um, yeah. who gets killed. Uh, and she's, like, the only sort yeah. of piece of imperfection within the film. 
yeah, I don't even necessarily mean physical imperfection either, because like, right, of course, there's like old people and, you know, actors who are like, like, I wouldn't necessarily say like, you know, F. Murray Abraham, who plays the older Zero or like, um, whoever, Owen Wilson, right? Like, those aren't like, people without physical, again, flaws, but they're still like, picturesque in a way that I find objectifying. I, I don't know, I, I, I could, I totally understand that this might be very unhinged of a thing to say, but I, I yeah, I just, I find it very off-putting. Um, kind of like high fashion. Like it gives me like high fashion trying not to be high fashion vibes. Okay. And so I haven't seen any of his other movies until I watched The Royal Tenenbaums a couple weeks ago. And I was like, okay, that movie stars Gene Hackman. And Gene Hackman, I like there are several movies of that he's in that I really like. Um, and he's just like an interesting kind of actor from an, a previous, several previous generations. I don't know if you know who Gene Hackman is from the name, but no. yeah, famous like new Hollywood 70s guy. Um, he was in Bonnie and Clyde. He was in um, like just some movies that you would probably know by name. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and obviously you know what he looks like from from the movie, but um, he just seemed, it, it's kind of like as if they cast, I don't know, like, uh, like, yeah, just like a, a craggy old man who isn't like twee, <laughs> um, you know, in the way that Bill Murray has aged into. So he's kind of like a, a famous asshole. Mm-hmm. So I just, I was, you know, and in a way that Bill Murray can't compete with, I think. Sure. And so <laughs> I was really interested in that because it's like, okay, here's this, you know, star who doesn't normally seem like somebody who would belong in these movies. And I think that the Royal Tenenbaums, A, it's better, I think, I think I like it more than, than Grand Budapest. I don't know if I would say it's better or not, but just because it, it doesn't feel so cloying, the like aesthetic and like shallowness. Mm-hmm. So I like that movie. And I think Gene Hackman does a really good job of kind of grounding it because he's so different than all these like perfect, sad doll people. I think Ray Fiennes is really good in this movie, but he does not bring the same kind of groundedness. In fact, he's maybe the most zany character in a way. Who, who's Ray Fiennes? The main, the main actor, um, the the guy who plays uh, Gustav. Okay, right. So, it, he is cloying though. Like his entire personality is cloying almost, even to the the fact that like they have a plot point around the perfume that he wears, right? Which is yeah. in itself cloying, right? Like being in his presence is spelling the they did perform. I forget what it was called. Uh, whatever it was, um, it's the first thing he asked for out of jail, right? Um, and it's how the police officers were able to track him, right? Sure. And, and I mean, it's like the the movie as being superficial comes down to. I mean, at least for this one, and I mean, it maybe isn't as much of an excuse for some of his other films, which he employs the same sort of tactics, but it's it revolves around a very sort of superficial cloying man who eventually does sort of get what he wants, right? That's only Gustav's story, right? Like, Zero also gets what he wants, in a way. See, I feel like the end of this movie is incredibly sad. Yeah. Like, this isn't a movie... I mean, it's a movie about fascism. You know, yes, they get what they want, and then they immediately have it taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Like, Gustav, you know, which I, I think is kind of narratively fulfilling. If anything, I feel like the ending is... It's hollow because I don't think it's earned. Like all of that, like sudden tragedy, even though you can, I think you can kind of see it coming given the frame stories. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, I feel like that's maybe the most appropriate given. I can see what this movie's trying to do, in which I don't think it's a love story or a found family story. I feel like it's very much about nostalgia, like you said, um, and kind of like, what's the difference between being nostalgic for an old time and like an old world, like Gustav is, versus like fascism and reactionary politics, right? And so... So they mention in the film how it, uh, like Zero at the end says like, his world was long gone, right? Like it's from a time long past. Right. Uh, but he managed to keep up the illusion that it was still there, right? And it, I mean, he really does. And like the the film does well in the same way that I think Uncut Gems does, where at least for me, it pulls me into its rhythm, right? And Gustav becomes the this man among men, right? He is like untouchable, right? Up until he isn't, when he's he's met with the you know, brutal fist of fascism. I mean, like, it's, you, you sort of see it coming, right? Because it, it happens one time, and you're like, okay, well, that was a, not really a fluke, but yeah, a lucky strike, right? Um, and then the the leadership changes hands, right? The dictatorship changes over to another. He acts the same way that he always has, but now with a more empowered demeanor, right? No longer is he just a simple concierge, right? He's the owner and proprietor of the hotel. He has all of this money, all of these assets, uh, this vast estate that was granted to him by one of his, correctly stated earlier in the film, like from one of his lecherous adventures with these old women that he preys upon, he inherited an estate. It, like, to be fair, the, the family of the older woman who dies is kind of right, right? Like, why, why should he get this? It's, I'm not going to say it's just comeuppance what happens to him, but it is... It is narratively fulfilling. Yeah, like you said, it's maybe not right way to end his story, but it definitely feels right. The The whole story with like Zero and Agatha, right? A- Agatha, sort of like a linchpin throughout the film. Um, she's almost like a... I mean, like, Agatha is definitely used as a prop, right? Where, like, oh, they need to smuggle tools into the prison. Good thing they have Agatha. Okay, pa- pause pause there because i i feel like that what you just said she's a prop every character and this is a prop except for the gustav and maybe zero and i'm still not 100 percent convinced that he's not a prop either okay. like this this just feels like remember this crazy actor look at them being a bellhop or like at some other hotel or like they're like this random person you know cast in this 35 character movie no one here really has an arc except for Gustav. And I feel like the movie really wants you to be like, look at this colorful cast of characters, but none of them feel fleshed out. Like none of these, I mean, none of them feel like yeah. approaching real people, which is the point. Yeah. Maybe, They're all very hollow, like... one-dimensional. Yeah. And so I can't, yeah. Like but the bad con- guys are continue just with like, what you're saying. very bad guys, right? Like, um, like, yeah. like the whole family of the woman who passed, like they're they're the bad guys like cut and dry you know you you always see them and like they they continue wearing the funeral attire that they're wearing the all black throughout the entire film yeah um like they're very stylistically the bad guys it's it's like laid bare for that yeah it's like short shorthand like yeah. they're nazis which of course like yeah the the zz like yeah it's like all right cool all right. yeah i i get that you can't introduce Maybe you could, like, actual Nazism into this movie, especially because it's a fictional country anyway. But, mm-hmm. 
something yeah something about that like wallpapered over analogy also gave me pause of like you're just kind of using it as a stand-in for ultimate evil and like mm. reactionary politics but you're not really like we got to go back to the past kind of you know that the like turn. thrust of of what yeah yeah but i feel like it's not it doesn't go anywhere other than to be like these are the bad guys like you're saying like the archetypical like yeah like all black wearing assassins which i mean they're fun to watch to a point i found myself like really engaged with this movie for the first 30 minutes and then i was like i felt like i was watching two hours of looney tunes like you know how like you yeah. could watch two hours of looney tunes and you'd be like this is a great idea and then after the first you know six or seven shorts you're like all right i'm kind of losing steam here mm -hmm. um even though they're all maybe good or like exciting yeah, I just felt like there wasn't really anything kind of going on beneath the surface that you couldn't see from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but you, I, I'm still interested. You mentioned that this is a love story. And I just, mm -hmm. I mean, I know that there is a love, whatever, a love story in this, but I just, the, I didn't really get any sense of like, these two love each other or like their love is going to survive in the face of fascism or anything like that. It's just like, they fall in love. She's convenient. Oh, well, not, not Agatha and Zero, Zero and Gustav. Okay, tell me about this. So Gustav is like sort of famously known as a philanderer, almost, right? Um, like he he sort of flirts with pretty much everyone, like even the prison inmates, um, the guards, calls them all darling. He's very, he always has that sort of front with them. Um, yeah, bisexual king. Right, right. He has the front. He has the front with all of the uh, older women that he courts, and and he only sort of like lets that down around zero. And, and even, even when he's calling upon the, the, what is it, Society of the Cross Keys, he's, like, really sort of official about it. And he's like, oh, like, we need to, we need to give them something. And, and he maintains his relationship through all people through the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, and he, he does that with Zero for most of the film as well, where Zero is his concierge, his, like, his personal valet, Right. There's there's only a few times where he sort of breaks that down, like the the one where they were sort of like bunked up together, and then like he he offers him the deal where he's like, all right, well like we're gonna sell the uh the boy with the what is it the boy with apple I, again like it's a very funny sort of juxtaposition where he's like he's like I will hang it by my bedside and cherish it always, and then like under thirty seconds later he's like we need to sell it all right within one week yeah that was funny <laughs> yeah within one week we need to sell it on the black market. And I feel like he does that a lot, like, and I, I, I genuinely laugh at the film pretty often throughout it, right? And maybe I'm just sort of a sucker for the sort of, like, quick jabs or uh, little jokes that he likes to throw in. And, and that sort of breaks down a little bit as Gustav is incarcerated. And then when Gustav gets out, he has one of his other moments of, like, only, like, real humanity in the film where he insults Zero. And, and you get to see that, like, yeah, I mean, he is, like, as much as he has this sort of prim properness about him, and he likes to, he writes poems, and he he just almost naturally thinks in prose with how he waxes eloquently all of the time, even immediately after a prison break. He's, he's still a man, and he still gets angry. And then Zero opens up to him, tells him, like, his story, what really happened to him. And we never get to hear Gustav's story, like, his background, anything about him, which is sort of makes sense, right? Uh, in his eyes, uh, 
a concierge is not supposed to reveal anything about themselves. They should be the wall. Uh, and it's funny because he, he says that and he, he sort of like nails it into zero where it's like, you need to be a part of the wall. Like, this is what I've taught you. You should be present, but not like seen essentially. Um, when those are the only two real characters in the film. Um, so it, it's it's funny, that sort of juxtaposition where his job and sort of by extension his nature, since he lets that define him, is to be a part of the environment, to be the one that provides for others. Uh, when in reality, or at least within the reality of the film, that's flipped on its head, where it seems as though everything is available to him and he is the only actor within the scene. Um, and I like that. I like that sort of... It's it's a it's a weird sort of, like, change between the two, right? Where they're, they're contradicting each other all of the time. What he's saying and his actual actions are very, very different from one another. Like, when the, when the one inmate, we assumedly kills the inmate that yells for the guards when they're making the prison break, and he says, Oh, you wonderful, kind man. It's like, that is not a wonderful, kind man. That is a killer. He just killed someone in front of you, right? Like, assumedly. It's off camera, but you hear, like, a sickening squelch, right? Yeah. <laughs> the the irony of the dialogue is definitely one of the best parts of the movie. Like, the, the humor, the ironic humor, like you're saying, the, like, patter. Um, it is, you know, I just, I feel like I would like it more if this were, like, a series of shorts if, if they could just make looney tunes um <laughs> out of this movie i feel like yeah i would like it more just because i i don't know i guess i just don't find their dynamic that compelling even i mean i hear what you're saying i just i i don't know i would rather have characters that don't have to trade off their humanity in that way or trade off on having humanity i don't know yeah but i, I hear what you're saying i can definitely see how this movie is rewatchable for one um and also just like yeah something someone can lock into but yeah I, I don't know i also part of me is like is zero's character kind of racist i mean i get that they have him as uh an immigrant and a refugee for a reason but then to give him this kind of like sidekick role i know that he's the one telling the story but in the main you know and that's only in the frame story really he i mean he has everything he does is in service of this other plot i don't know i i would have to think about that but i just part of that left a bad taste in my mouth too like why is he having to defer like you said his even though a lot of it is ironic yeah i, I don't know yeah where he sort of lives his life through gustav essentially even, yeah even at least for the work. first however many i i mean throughout the entire film I mean, really, right? Um, right. I, I meant until until Gustav is is killed, at least. Right. We're left to assume right. that he has more spoilers. agency, you know, now. But yeah, yeah. Spoilers for this movie that we've been talking about for thirty minutes now. I, I mean, point of fact is, even after Gustav is killed, it it doesn't really seem like nothing that he does in his life is like otherwise noted. Zero, and even the the grave that the the girl is visiting who's reading the book right yeah it's by the author it's not even his oh, right I, I thought that was gustav's because yeah. it had the little comb no. over no hmm. no it's the it's the author in the frame story yeah so like which i did i did find that interesting that it's like okay you've got right the girl walking up to the statue she's reading the book 
and then we re start reading the book with the author's point of view and then the author starts telling the story and then who he's talking to starts telling the story i did like that i thought that was an interesting way of kind of working within the free frame or theme frame um of nostalgia and like thinking back on the past and like all of that i i, I think that's that's an obvious reading, but I, I did like that. I liked that the, the, I think the aspect ratio changes and the color changes that happen there, those are really cool um, and fun mm -hmm. and kind of do, yeah, play into that bit of how the frame story, yeah, just like is about people reflecting or, or whatnot on, on the past, but. And on a past that might've not even really existed, right? Um... Yeah, right, that could be mostly embellished, who knows. Um, I don't know. I don't think Jude Law would ever lie to me if I was, if I'm being right. honest. Um, I, I think that's I sort of important to keep in mind, though, in watching the film is that, uh, like, Zero, our narrator, is not an infallible narrator. And the, yeah. the ways in which Gustav interacts with the world, again, is, isn't exactly perhaps accurate, right? Um, and we, we can really see how much Zero loved, or at least in my eyes, we can see how much zero loved gustav I, I don't know if i mentioned it earlier when i was talking about how gustav is a philanderer um, but he doesn't he doesn't come on to zero he sort of once he once he finds zero and takes him under his wing and he zero does assume that sort of uh i'll say backseat to the story he, he really is there to enable gustav to do whatever he must need but it, it, like in a way right that's what a bellhop is supposed to do right and like that's like they they literally just say it in the story and i i think a lot of that pretty much everything in it in the story is like very much so laid out in exact terms like they say it out loud it's not it's not hidden that this is like a superficial story like they say it um i i i wouldn't say that there's so much to be gleaned from like anything underneath it and uh i mean we do, we do see that the other hotel concierge um they all have their own sidekicks, right? Oh, yeah. I, I like I, that sort of scene. I thought that was cute. Um, I like. I mean, it'd be a nice little two-minute short where it just cuts between all of them. And it's just like. It was really funny that it went on so long. Like right. that the chain of, right, of right. like calls was like six deep by the time they were done. Um, I did like that. O only for like the original guy to be the one to come pick them up, and it's like. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I guess I hear what you're saying. I, I just, I. I don't know, just given in the, the context of his whole filmography and how few people of color are in them. Mm. And yeah, I, I don't know, they just kind of in the aesthetic, like it kind of feels like, oh, do only white people fit in your, you know, like in your in your little doll movies, I, I guess. Uh... I don't know. That's not maybe that's not fair because I haven't seen that many. Um, but it is like if you look up, there's one poster of this movie that's like, like all the keys or it's like a, a bunch of keys mm -hmm. um, i'm trying to find it here and it's like all just like 15 white faces and then zero <laughs> yeah and it just kind of puts it into perspective of like oh yeah wes anderson does have very white films i'll say yeah i don't know i mean especially since it's supposed to be like look at this crazy cast of characters and then it's like eight of the most obvious white people you would think would be in these types of movies. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> and mostly men too. Yeah. They're very male true. movies as well. I, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, yeah. I mean, the only movers and shakers 
are, are really Gustav and Zero. And even the most, I'll say, important plot pieces are, are like, also, like, I mean, Willem Dafoe, right? He's the main sort of yeah. antagonist. And he's great. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah. I, I do like his, yeah. See, okay, so uh, Willem Dafoe, uh, throughout the entire film, he's essentially untouchable, even in how, like, he moves throughout the prison. He, he sort of makes his way throughout the film untouched. And, I mean, until his death, right? Where he's confronted with Zero pushing him off of a cliff. Uh, and that's, like, that's the point at which, oh, he is actually fallible, right? Up until then, he's, like, he's doing, like, these Olympic-level skiing maneuvers after... <laughs> uh, managing to infiltrate a monastery to kill a guy without anyone noticing. It's like, okay. Which I just think, is, I don't know, it's just funny to me. It's its interesting. Like, I That's another scene that I laugh out loud at, right? Because like, you see the very clearly like animated cracks forming in the ice. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're but, cute. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely yeah. a cute scene. Gustav does his sort of swan song, the last, the last verse that he's going to be able to read out. And then he gets pushed off. He's like, "Holy fuck, you did it! Get me out there!" I do. I do really like. Yeah, I think Ray Fiennes does a good job of balancing his like, yeah, like twee, you know, aristocratic kind of patter of speech versus like, yeah, he turns into a you know sailor mouthed kind of guy. Like, I do think he does a good job of that. Um, he's a good actor, so I, you know, that's not surprising. And I mean, it, it shows the humanity of Gustav. And like, those are the only points of humanity that we really see. Even even all the way up through the end of the film, we all we ever see of him is the facade that he puts on, right? When you are a part of the hotel, you cannot in any way relay sort of negative emotions. You you can't be a person outside of being of service to others. Yeah. So, but does he have an arc? Um, I don't. I feel like he. I feel like he doesn't really have an arc. Like he's willing to do the way he dies in the end is exactly the same. He could have died earlier in the film when the exact same thing happened. So like, is there any character growth really? I feel like he's just kind of sent on a wild goose chase, um, growth or or change even. Like he's not really. Even though I do think this is an interesting character, like you said, he is very human compared, especially in contrast to like everything else about this movie, he is very human. But uh, yeah, I just, I feel like he is the same going in as he is coming out. Um, the only change really is that he has this new friend, but that happens so early in the movie that he kind of like pledges, lo they pledge loyalty to each other, right? They like shake hands and stuff. So yeah, I, I just, I'm kind of like, oh, and maybe that's part of the point is like that, you know, he had no arc, he had no reason to change. He was fine. And then now he's just dead anyway, because, you know, the melancholy, blah, blah, blah. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's almost like an anti-hero story, right? Right. Where he gets what he wants without really any sacrifice on his own part. And he he would have gotten it in the end anyway, pretty much no matter what. Right. If we had known him as a child, because obviously, like, we know what he wanted to be. We get to see that very early on, right? Where he wants to be among... He, he wants to be, like, one of the people, right? He wants to be among the wealthy. Um, he wants to be somebody. Like they say in Shark Tale, right? Like, I want to be up there. I want to be somebody. Um, I know you didn't just fucking say that. Wow. 
listen i got it on my mind right oh my god but it's true like he he wants to be somebody and and so he's like well i'm going to make that happen however like whatever it takes however i have to get there i will be somebody um but he's still sort of like loyal to his own a decent human being at the very least i mean that doesn't change his goals don't change throughout the film uh how he intends to achieve them doesn't really change um like he's he's going to bed as many sort of famous influential women as he has to um no matter their age uh in order to try and secure a bit of financial security for himself uh, i don't think he expected it to go so far with the uh, main woman who died but it did right and he he achieved everything he wanted and he becomes exactly as they were right uh superficial yeah blonde cloying right. i mean maybe it's sort of like dumb jokes to laugh at i guess but it, in my mind like it's it's it is very funny and this yeah. movie is up until the end really quite funny quite humorous um yeah i feel like the the delivery is what makes it funnier than like the jokes themselves might not yeah. be a hoot and a holler, but um, they are funny to like, yeah, like just their, their delivery. There's good timing. Obviously everything is heightened by the, uh, you know, extreme symmetry and like doll like aesthetic and everything. So th there is a lot of like physical humor or like framing humor here. And situational humor. I'm a fan of situational comedy. So sitcom fan over here. What if this was a sitcom? Would it be better? I think so. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it'd be pretty much essentially the same, right? Uh, they'd have the same sort of silly little transitions. Um, I don't know where you watched it, but it's free on YouTube. And Wait, this movie is free on YouTube? Oh, yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the delayed cuts aren't lined up with commercial breaks, like ad breaks. So it'll, like, play an ad, and then it'll, like, jump back into the movie which will, like, be a couple seconds behind, and then it'll be, like, a really long black pause. Okay. Hey, which is funny to me. Hold, hmm. hold the phone, Joan. Uh, hold the I, phone. I need you to send me the link where... Oh, it is free with ads. Fuck. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm shocked. I didn't get that on... Letterboxd <laughs> didn't tell me that. That's funny. Uh, I, I just looked it up on Google, and I was like, watch movie. That's what I fucking get. Well, I won't say how I procured this movie, um, but... Um, <laughs> It looked beautiful, but yeah, I can see how the watching it like with with the black ad, you know, black screen ads would be tough. But it it's the fact that they weren't lined up that like I got a kick at it out of it every single time because it was like cut <laughs> in the middle of dialogue, and then yeah, it would Oof. like go back into it, and I don't know, it's just I get a kick out of it. That's great. That would drive me crazy. I could not watch a movie <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'm see. I'm fucking serious as a heart attack. I will like sometimes if the like streaming quality. I have too many streaming services. If like the streaming quality is bad on one of them, and or like the subtitles are off or or anything, I'm like fuck it. I can't. I can't do this. Like I'll get it some other way. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'll get my fix somewhere else. <laughs> like this. Ain't yeah. Fun, honestly, it it really bothers me. So um, Godspeed. Like if if you can handle that, like you're built different. Because I I cannot. So I'll, I'll ask this. It seems like you didn't really enjoy the film. Uh, I gave it three out of five. Um, uh, what? <laughs> that's my like. Uh. That's not that. No, but but I don't grade on like a, you know, ABC. Like that's not my. Oh, so you have like very honest 
point systems with your stars? I I do have it written out. Um, I've I've heard people be like, it's lame to have it written out, but I find it helps me in like making sure that my ratings stay consistent. You know, where I have like my three and a half is this is solid. I'm not my mind isn't blown. Most movies are around here. My two and a half is like this isn't really to my taste, but I can see how others like it. And my three is like it's fine. Like it's fine. You know, and that's kind of how I felt about this movie. Like I didn't, I can see that the craft in it is really beautiful. I can see why people really like this movie, but I think there are, the flaws in it are just enough to where I can't really like or love it, you know, or, or there, there are parts that I really like, especially like I said in the beginning, and then it just kind of gets tiring. And then toward the end, the ending kind of picks up a bit in the, you know, the, the, the action is a little bit more interesting and such, but it's hollow you know, at the end, because it feels unearned. There's not really a lot of emotion and there's just kind of too much gaggery. I don't know, like too too much trickery, too too much, too many hijinks. I could do like 15% less hijinks and I think I would like this movie more. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess I just, uh, part of the reason to, so so like I didn't dislike this movie. Like to, to mm. I'm, I'm trying to think of like a movie that I have also given a three, three stars to. Um, I think I gave the eraser head three stars, maybe three. Wow. So like, yeah, Uh, (laughs) I know that when we were talking about that, I ended up maybe talking myself down. I gave eraser head three stars too. So Hmm. interesting. Yeah. It's, it's my, like this movie isn't bad, but I don't really like it kind of rating. I think, is this your favorite of the ones of his that you've seen? No, no. Um, this feels like the totemic one. Like this feels like yeah. like in the culture, this is definitely the yeah. one I see referenced the most. Yeah, when people think of Wes Anderson, they think of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe maybe Rushmore would be my favorite. I'm not sure. Interesting. That's the one that's like nobody talks about. Like no one talks about that one. That's a really good one. I I really like Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Isle of Dogs was also really cool. See, that's the. I'd be interested to rewatch one of to like watch Isle of Dogs or rewatch Fantastic Mr. Fox just because it does seem like he should just obviously be making fucking cartoons. Like this man does not belong. Like don't stop giving this man dolls. Like stop recruiting white people with yeah, angular yeah. faces. <laughs> I was gonna say like those movies ha- are the epitome of the problems that you had with this movie. Yeah, like, but like a cartoon it's him is different with dolls. <laughs> Yeah, but like yeah, I can, I can, you know, you look like you belong in a Wes Anderson movie, and I don't, and so maybe that's it. Maybe like <laughs> you're like this is literally me. <laughs> like I feel like you could, you could like slot into this. You kind of look like Wes Anderson, if I'm being honest. Like if if Wes Anderson had darker hair. Wait, let me look him up. And I uh, and I know uh... that I am constantly joking about how we look alike, but oh, you I look, kind of do. Huh. You kind of do. So I feel Ooh, like that could. I just though. can't. That's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, the opsec is just getting out of control. I don't know. Yeah, so maybe that's part of it too. Because I'm sure that there's movies where I'm like, "Wow, they are literally me," and <laughs> you'd be like, "Lane, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this is The Departed." But he's so me. Um, so now that you brought up The Departed, I have another Michael Mann film that I wanted to sort of contrast with this one. Okay, well, first of all, Michael Mann did not direct The Departed, so... Fuck! That's a demerit. 
That's a Scorsese. Come on. You knew that. Scorsese. My bad. No, but what the? Are you thinking of Heat? Are you comparing I this to Heat? I am thinking of Heat. Uh, spe- it's, one specific okay. scene. Can you tell me what scene it is? No, and and you know I'm fascinated by this because I've heard the anecdote before that Wes Anderson says he references Heat in like all of his movies actually, mm-hmm. like that he's actually a huge fan of Heat. Did you know this? I I didn't I didn't but I mean it makes sense and like I haven't seen Heat until recently uh, so I I'd have to go back and rewatch the movies but yeah almost definitely right because there's there's one scene that is like obviously a it's like oh this is a Heat reference I, I'm surprised you're not calling it out. No, I was kind of, yeah, I mean, I, w- I was not in that mind set when I was watching. So, yeah, tell me tell me what it is. So, when um, when the son of the deceased woman is chasing Agatha, but then he sees Gustav and Zero, and he, he pulls out the gun and he starts firing, and then, every, like, all the doors start opening and people start firing back and forth, right? And it's supposed to be, like, a, like a proxy war thing, where it's like, oh, okay, like, uh-huh. hey, we're fighting a proxy war. So that's... That's a reference to the the heat scene where they, where they're like downtown right after the bank robbery and spoilers, and are just firing Spo- off automatic spoilers. weapons at the spoilers. cops. Spoilers, spoilers. There's a bank robbery in heat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one thing that happens in that movie. <laughs> well, all right. Um, Have you ever seen the Jim Gaffigan bit about heat? No. There's like a clip of, I, I forget the exact verbiage, but he's like, you ever watch a movie, but you're too late, and so you just want to talk about it? And just like, <laughs> he's like, hey guys, I just watched Heat. Like, it's really funny. That's how I feel, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just the fact that, A, it goes on for, they're all firing on each other. It goes on for like a very long period of time. Um, like it's yeah almost comical how long it's firing. Uh, and it's also the sound on it is like. That's true. The sound is really intense. Yeah, it's very violent. Right. It's like the only time that guns are firing in the film. You know what? Even one of these guys, one of the guys, the last guy who kind of pops his head out of the door even looks like Tom Sizemore. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I can see this. I can see what you're saying here. Yeah, the the gunfires are, like, really loud, too. It's really jarring, like, in the context of the film. Um, yeah. But that's yeah, interesting. That's, that, for yeah. me, I, I thought that was for sure a heat reference, right? Yeah, I can see it. And, and yeah, I, I have heard that Wes Anderson is a big fan of that movie, of Heat. So, mm-hmm. I see that. I can see it. I, I mean... And Zero runs through the gunfire to, uh, say, save someone precious to him, right? He he couldn't just turn his back when he felt the heat around well, the corner. Well, now you're 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 mixing your scenes from Heat. I didn't. I don't think uh, Natalie Portman tried to kill herself in this movie. What? <laughs> Do you forget that part of Heat? <laughs> Am I cr- Oh oh, what the. F- no, yeah, no, you're right. My bad. Yeah, um, so, you know. What a pull. My bad. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, I was trying to, I didn't want to be like, yeah, Al Pacino says she has got a great ass. Remember when we saw that movie in fucking New York? That, in God, that makes you so mad. That was so awful. Anyway, we don't need to, <laughs> let's not relitigate heat right now. Um, anything else from this movie that you want to shout out i did like harvey keitel in the prison the, he's the the main bald prison guy um i thought he was interesting oh, with the he, tattoos yeah 
Yeah. So like everyone in this movie is so still. And that's kind of his thing. Wes mm-hmm. Anderson's thing is like people just don't move on the screen. Like they're either talking or they're standing still. Mm-hmm. Um, there's well, not like a lot of business. Symmetry, right. Like, it's, yeah, it's very so I get that it's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. But then you have Harvey Keitel, who's kind of a, a, a pretty businessy actor. Mm-hmm. So he's like having a really hard time being very still in an interesting way I, I found him yeah like he's another guy who's like what the fuck are you doing in this movie mm-hmm. like gene hackman kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> so so i liked i liked seeing him of all the other kind of cameos or like drop in you know quick characters i, I really didn't i gotta be honest i don't like tilda swinton this is the second time we're gonna talk about we need to talk about kevin oh. we need to talk about kevin who's tilda swinton the um she plays the old lady she's in like 80 pounds of elderly makeup like old age makeup she plays the old lady who dies okay gotcha. um but she's the mom in we need to talk about kevin among other things wow Um, i would not have placed her yeah i that's funny i placed her fucking immediately i was like that there's only one like weird angular white woman that this could be (laughs) and (laughs) but um I, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of her acting, and so like I wasn't, I didn't love her scenes. Edward Norton didn't really do anything for me. Oh, I'm I'm seeing the poster now that you were referencing earlier. Yeah, it is sort of a yeah, it's kind of tough. <laughs> a menagerie. A bit of a yikes of moment there. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah, love seeing, like I said, Jude Law in anything. Good, uh, good-looking man, but he doesn't really have anything interesting to do. Uh yeah, I mean, again, n- none of the other kind of characters like really popped for me. Uh, they all kind of just blend together as like one big quirky mess. Yeah, they're they they are the set, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I see. I'd say for the very reasons that you dislike it, it's like almost the exact reasons why I like it. It's it's all set pieces. the The story isn't is like very much so focused on. Zero is devoted to Gustav. Gustav is voted is devoted to the Grand Budapest Hotel. Zero becomes devoted to the Grand Budapest Hotel. And then at the very end, he says, "Nope, I didn't keep it for him. I kept it because me and Agatha had some good times here." And like, I don't know, that's nice. Yeah. And it, it again, that's sort of like it adds to the nostalgia for a time that doesn't exist. Even on the screen, we get to see very little of the time between Zero and Agatha. That's sort of left like as an exercise to the viewer almost i mean they had a kid we know that they spent a good many years together assumedly um after they were married on screen did they though because he said that she she died along with their infant child so like i mean maybe they whatever got married and then had a kid later on but that didn't give like long time of happy life like I, I, yeah i feel like this movie is just a real downer of an end oh yeah we kind of have opposite like last week we were like eraser head and i was like this movie has a happy ending because the, the <laughs> aborts the baby <laughs> you're like what the fuck is the matter yeah. <laughs> and we're like vice versa on the, this week but... yeah I, because i mean throughout the and again like like i said like it's it's a film of like maybe contradictions or just funny juxtapositions maybe not funny but interesting juxtapositions right where it's no funny ironic I yeah guess. it's, it's yeah. a real happy sort of upbeat film um despite what's going on it's a like with the very dark undertones happening throughout it um it's like a film of like yeah. murder and wars like on the horizon if and currently happening in the background 
did you notice that in the prison they're dressed like uh concentration camp yeah the, prisoners the, the striped pajamas yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 like to a t almost that kind of i i was like ooh, okay we're getting a little little direct here wes wesley it, wesley it's a very direct film and i think wes anderson is a very like like direct director but um bump yeah <laughs> he, he doesn't like pull any punches there's some meme that i see all the time um and i i think it's from like the tim and eric show or something uh where it's like i know authors who use subtext and they're all cowards oh that's no that's how i feel about a lot of wes anderson <laughs> films right like um that's funny that's uh that's not that's not tim and eric that's um that's garth Marenghi. it's like it's kind of similar in a uh yeah it's it's also like a, a parody kind of um show i don't know you should watch it it's it's interesting anyway it's a quick watch okay um, i'll check it out sometime but but yeah like a lot of wes anderson films it, it very much so feels like he is what he wants to say is being said through the characters not through their actions but through their literal words like it is being said the actions are just there to put on a little play for you so that he can have his set pieces be his mouthpiece. Many which... people are saying. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, like, I mean, it's because it's not a very nuanced yeah. take on a not a very nuanced way of conveying information, right? No, I, I, yeah, I think there's something interesting about the way he's doing it, the irony, the, the, the you know, of the way people, like, Royal Tenenbaums, this was very obvious, like, oh, these people are super reserved and, like, cut off and repressed. And, you know, the way that they're saying these, like, horrible things or, like, experiencing these horrible situations, it, the, that's the point, is to kind of show, like, the catharsis at the end of, like, oh, like, you know, um, they're really just repressed. And, like, um, you know, like, obviously there's more going on underneath the surface and it keeps you maybe curious in a way. But, yeah, I guess... Uh, I just wish that there was mo something more interesting being said in the the interesting delivery, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean it definitely makes sense, um, and I can understand leaving his films and wanting more, for sure. Do any of his movies star women, like star women? I can't think of any. I think Moonrise Kingdom has like it's like a dual lead of like two kids, a, a guy and a girl, but I. Yeah, it's a coming of age story. It's definitely. I haven't seen it for a little while, but, um, I mean, maybe it was just because of the time during which I watched it, but, like, that I resonated more with the male character. But it, it definitely falls into that sort of, like, well, this is about the guy. Um, yeah. And, yeah. like, like he is the main character. And maybe not so far as to say that, like, every other character is pawns here, but, um, or, like, set right. pieces. But uh, to a certain extent, yeah, that does happen a lot. Yeah, I don't know, and I I can't I don't uh, necessarily like write somebody off for that, you know. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just like I don't know. I, I don't find what this movie is serving up to be a delicious succulent meal. So um, <laughs> like I <laughs> I would be interested to see a different kind of yeah, like something yeah, something a little less about like nostalgia or like sad i i want a movie that's not so goddamn sad i don't think of myself as a sad person so i have a harder time relating i guess <laughs> and and i i would say it is a very sad movie like the the end yeah like not just the nostalgia but like it it gut punches you right because you're not really expecting to 
have that emotional bond with these characters because they're all very one-dimensional. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the film. I, I say it's a good four, four and a half. Um, You're valid. I like it a lot. And, and I like the work that uh, Wes Anderson puts into it. It feels like meticulously directed where everything was in its place. Everything has a place. It's in its place at its time. Um, which I enjoy. So, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can see again. I'm glad to have watched it. Like, just like, I, I don't feel like this film was vegetables in the same way I felt like uh, Eraserhead was, but yeah, I, uh, yeah. not, not my thing. Very different but... films. Right. Well, yeah. yeah fucking um, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't call this Kino. Um... Oh, I think this is totally, okay. First off, we're not getting into this, but I do think that this is like cinema. I think this is totally like an important film, even if I don't think it's a film I love or think is perfect or anything. I think it's obviously so important to a ton of people and like kind of cemented. Yeah. Cemented Wes Anderson is like one of the guys right now, even though again, I don't, he's not my guy, but um, yeah, I think this is Kino. If, if only we had kept our original podcast name, um, we could really make the, at the end of every episode, (laughs) is it Kino? Is it Kino? (laughs) Uh, I don't um, know. I'd say that if Eraserhead is vegetables in a meal, this is like a light dessert afterwards that leaves you wanting more, right? Yeah. Where yeah. You're, you're, you're a little sad that you had it, right? It's like, well, <laughs> like, it's over. It makes me nostalgic for when I had desserts and, like, four yeah. of them. Um, <laughs> and in the same way that Mendel's is, like, a sort of... Um, it's a dessert so pretty you don't want to eat it. I feel that way about right. this movie. <laughs> a, a dessert so way you don't uh, a dessert so pretty you don't even want to cut into it if you're yeah. a prison inspector, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's 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 also very surface level. Um, yeah. I I don't know. I'm sure there are people who would disagree with us, um, but oh, definitely. That, they're they're not on this podcast, so who cares? Um, yeah, right. Fuck them. <laughs> So what do we want to watch next? That is a good question. Uh, do we want to resort to one of Lane's mains? We could do a Lane's mains now that we've done two Rick's picks. Um, oh, it was I think it was Lane's frames. I think Ooh, is what Lane's we... Lane's frames. I like that. Okay. Because mains makes it sound like it's like, these are like my canon. Yeah, you're like go-tos. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot of movies that like, on this list that I would like to watch but maybe or have been recommended to me but i wouldn't call like my films um yeah. we're getting into the christmas season but i don't i don't have any christmas movies i like really want to watch uh i mean for christmas specifically die hard obviously i'm not fucking watching die hard don't... why not i don't know man I, i'm not an action no. guy yeah I mean, I... you're not <laughs> <laughs> i don't really I don't really like a lot of action movies. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I like The Departed. I like horror movies, but I just... I... You like Heat. Heat's different. Can we stop <laughs> this? I know that Heat is going to be a cornerstone of this pod, but can we not <laughs> bring up Heat every single time yeah, we talk about yeah. any movie uh, with men right. in it? Uh, no, right. I mean... Right. But, I, yeah, I... I guess we could we could talk about Die Hard. I I don't want to just write movies off, even though I do. 
action Let's movies go. just aren't my thing. Um, but I also, part of that too, I also don't want this to just be me ranting about how I don't like movies. <laughs> no, Which that's is fair. dangerous territory. Like, I feel like we could go there really quickly. Every movie that Christopher recommends for this, he, he's like, I think you'd have some hot takes. Which I know is code <laughs> for, you will fucking eviscerate this movie. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm not afraid of, of spouting off an uneducated, not thought through opinion and sticking by it. But um, yeah, yeah I just yeah. I, I don't think that's interesting. And I don't want to get mad for no reason on podcasts. I want this All to right, be fun. Fair. I think I think there's also a certain enjoyment to be had with, uh, you know, getting angry. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I, I love to just spout off takes. I'm, like, I'm no stranger to that. <laughs> but I, I do want to watch movies that I think... I can say something nice and tender about instead of just like, mm, this movie's anorexia propaganda. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, okay, do we want something more light or something more serious or neither, both? Uh, We could probably go serious, right? Because I, I guess we should kind of flip-flop week to week, right? Sort of serious and light. You know? Keep it interesting. Um, okay, do you want to go like real serious? Uh, well, what's your recommendation for real serious? Um, have you ever heard of Ensemble's? Here, I'll no. link it to you. It's in that list. Um, it's Denis Villeneuve. Oh, I said that wrong. Denis Villeneuve, uh, who did Dune and Arrival and the sequel to Blade Runner. He's like a pretty famous director. Ensemble's is like one of his earlier movies. Yeah, I don't know. It's supposed to be pretty good and serious and dark it's a war movie uh or like a dramatic war movie i think it's about lebanon but if that's a little too serious which i'd understand we can look at something a little less no, it's I'm also pretty long i mean yeah that's fine it it looks great okay yeah uh i guess next week then we want to watch Ensemble's uh 2010 i hope i'm saying that right i think that's the french pronunciation um uh for denis villeneuve so cool i'm excited i guess that's what we want to watch boo bad i'm gonna slice in the uh <laughs> the the outro music that actually sounded good last time so wow yeah Kinda crazy yeah but um okay we'll uh we'll talk next week cool and Yay. i will not make a uh on these nuts joke next week <sighs> i got it out today it had <laughs> happened God. it had happened eventually <sighs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Do 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 do